0: You may be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 21 today as we continue uh, this, I believe, the 50th installment of our Romans series. And we've got so much more goodness to go, so don't get get weary in doing good. Um, And it's it's actually quite fitting for us to sing uh, It Is Well, It is well with my soul. Uh, For those perhaps familiar with the story of that song, Horatio Spafford was uh, an elder in his church, a lawyer an attorney from the United States. He lost his family in a tragic uh, boating accident. The ship sank in the middle of the sea and as he traveled back through that same space, it's when these words came to him, uh, that it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river, he he sang and he wrote attendeth my way. It is well, it is well with my soul. And perhaps there are few illustrations that are as fitting for us in this past year of over and over again going over these spaces where there may be great loss. And to be sure, as a, as a global community, we cannot overlook the, the pain and the suffering that continues to uh, mark our world. And yet many of us have our own stories of pain and loss. And yet we can sing in the middle of of that storm as our brother taught us those years ago, that it is well, it is well with my soul. And that's what we wanna look at today. See, Paul has been writing about this idea that we have been justified, that we have been saved by grace through faith. And this is, this is good news for us. It is good news that we are not saved by our own works, by our own identity, or by the law, but rather what Paul is over and over and over again repeating in this particular letter that would have been circulating in the house churches in the first century uh, of Rome, both of Jews and Gentiles. So those who kind of grew up uh, as followers of the God of the Bible, uh, those who believed in Yahweh, and those who just very recently came to know the God of the Bible through the work of Jesus, through the, the gospel of the Lordship of Jesus. He's writing to all of those people and he's reminding them that it's not your works, it's not your identity that makes you righteous. It's not the law that makes you righteous. It is the works and it is the identity and it is the fulfillment of the law through Jesus Christ that makes you Righteous and and if we're not careful even as we have by God's grace been going through this particular letter letter We may think that that is an idea that that is a power that merely saves us or rather makes us righteous or makes us Christians But it actually is the way in which we live with faith see, see we've been saved by grace through faith and we are a people that live by grace through faith and i think this is where paul is about to take a transition at the end of chapter four and on into five and throughout the rest of the letter where he's going to help us to understand that this is yes how we have been saved but this is also how we are kept this is also how we live this is also how we continue to face the struggles of raising a family of longing for marriage of doing the work of a student, of doing the work as a good boss or as those who work in a company? How do we live by faith in the middle of all of the things that we do and are called to do? So this is what Paul sort of shifts to. And so today, what I'd like to consider is what does faith look like in real life? What's faith look like in real life as we actually navigate this life together as God's people? And this is what Paul begins to instruct his readers uh, about in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. So let me, let me read that for us so that we kind of get a picture, we settle our minds on uh, what God would have to say to us today. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, verse 20, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so if we look at these particular three verses, we see that as we follow them in succession, that Paul has something to instruct us about as he instructs his first readers about something about the nature of a preconceived notion of faith, of what it's like. Perhaps I'm going to lie about faith and what the truth is. See, in verse 19, Paul addresses this misunderstanding that faith is blind. In other words, that it's just a blind leap in trusting the mysterious unknown that God will be faithful. But in the New um, International Version, this particular verse says that without weakening in his face, he faced the fact. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. So in real life, in real life, faith faces the facts. That's what we're going to look at in verse 19. And then when we get to 20, Paul confronts another lie that, that faith is weakness. Perhaps you have faced this in your own family, or with your colleagues, or with your friends, that really faith is for the weak. And and yet what we realize in the scriptures is that through faith we find the power of God. We find the power of the resurrected Christ. And in fact, this is not just on the other side of the resurrection, but in 1 Samuel 30, we're told that David, when he was about to be stoned to death and killed, he found strength in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. So in real life, faith makes you strong. And thirdly, finally, we'll look at verse 21. Paul explains that faith is not wishful thinking, and this is really good news. Faith is not just this warm, fuzzy feeling we have about the future. Faith is substantial, and it is rooted, it is anchored, it's built on the faithfulness of God. So so we want to consider that faith really is only as strong as that which we place our faith in. And when you place your faith, no matter how much of it you have, in the Lord, it is strong, it is living, it is powerful because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. So in real life, faith is about the faithfulness of God. Hi Micah, my son's waving at me, sorry, just a second. Uh, So what we're gonna look at today, we're gonna look at in real life, faith faces the facts, we're gonna look at in real life that faith makes you strong and in real life, we find that kind of faith in the faithfulness of God. See, for some of us today, we need to stop pretending. We need to stop pretending that everything is okay. Maybe you grew up in a particular spiritual context that said what faith is, is it's never being sad, it's always being happy and believing the best about everything and and ignoring the suffering and trappings of this world. That's what faith is. But we need to see that faith faces the facts. In other words, faith helps you to see the world as it is. Faith helps us, empowers us to see the world as it is. Today you might need to, however, look beyond the suffering Look beyond the pain and the trappings of this particular earthly existence, and you need to find hope in God. Perhaps you have been caught up so much in the trappings of this world that you have forgotten that what you're supposed to do is to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised its shame. See, faith helps us in that as well. Faith helps us to see that the world is not all that there is. Can I get an amen? The world is not all that there is. Today, however, you also might need to Stop depending on yourself and start depending on the Lord. Stop depending on yourself and start depending on the Lord. That's the foundation of biblical faith. It's, it's not a reliance a trust, a centering of self, but it's a reliance of trust and a centering of God and his word and his faithfulness. See, in real life, faith is grounded in the faithfulness of God. Now, to, to consider all of that and by God's grace to believe all of that by the power of God's spirit, we need help. And so we don't just open the Bible and say, here's what it says. We also go to God and say, help us. We can't understand this word on our own. We need to depend on what uh, many scholars call or theologians call the illumination of the scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us as Jesus promised. He's going to send a helper. And so we need some help, don't we, this morning? We need some help to understand God's word. So let's go to God. Let's ask for his help. He's a good father who desires for us to know him. So let's go to him. Let's submit ourselves to him and ask that he would speak. So Heavenly Father and calm our hearts. We pray that you would have our full and undivided attention because many things are pulling at our attention right now. Many things have stolen our attention away this past week. In fact, we have grown despondent. We've grown weary. This has been a long season. And in some ways, we're still right in the middle of it. And so we need your help, God. Empower us, embolden us, comfort us. But also, would you convict us Father, where we have grown cold toward your will, where we have become dismissive of your word, where we have become negligent in the face of your holiness, help us to be a people that believe and see and even submit to you that one day the Lord Jesus has promised that he's going to present the church to himself without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And so by your grace, through your word, would you make us holy today, even as you are holy. What a gift, what a promise that is. And so help us, Father, and this we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, everybody agreed and said, amen. So we've been looking at the life of Abraham, or really Paul has been forcing us to, because this has sort of been his chief or his primary illustration or, or help for us to understand as he is teaching his first century readers about what faith is. Abraham is a bit of like a prototype, if you will, of what biblical faith looks like. And so look at verse 19 in Romans, Romans chapter four, verse 19, it says he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah. So two things that that Abraham is considering, two facts, if you will. First, he is old, and two, second, Sarah can't get pregnant. Sarah's not becoming pregnant, No, they hope and they have tried. So these are real and significant problems. And in the middle of these facts, God promises, in the middle of that, He says, I'm gonna make you not only a dad, but I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. Now, God is not blind to the facts, church. He knows the circumstance, he knows the situation, and I believe that is why he is speaking to Abraham because if on the other side of this, he does have a child, and he does become the father of many nations, what else are we going to do except worship God because it was impossible without him, right? So God is setting us up here. He's setting us up to face the facts and look right at this. Now, keep in mind, verse 19 is a summary. This happens a lot. God forgive us. We read one verse and we feel like we've got the whole thing figured out, right? I do this all the time. (laughs) Read that verse and I just go like, this is what God's saying, this is what he is like, and we like neglect the entire letter. Paul is summarizing the life of Abraham and and this sort of coming to faith of Abraham. And, And to be sure, Abraham did believe the Lord and it was, as Paul records and was spoken first in Genesis, it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. However, Living through faith or living with faith is a struggle, isn't it? It's easy to read a verse and just go, Abraham believed and it was credited in his righteousness. God give me faith like Abraham because it seems like just in one verse he believed and everything worked out for him. It's a summary. It's a summary of a life. See, living in real life with faith and by faith is a struggle. This is deeply encouraging to us. See, Abraham was made righteous by faith, but Abraham was also imperfectly learning how to trust God in his daily life and to live by faith according to righteousness on a daily basis. See, he and Sarah wrestled with these facts over and over again. They they had a hard time reconciling their age, their inability to get pregnant. And so in between the promise that God makes and its fulfillment— from from chapter 15 of Genesis to chapter 21 there's a lot that happens Sarah Sarah still haven't hadn't gotten pregnant in fact they even worked out in their minds Sarah's like here, you can take this servant, she's an Egyptian servant, Hagar, and, and you, have, you have a kid with her because I obviously am not able to fulfill what God has said. And so they do this this little workaround. You ever done a workaround with God? Like, I know what you have promised, but it doesn't look like the way that you're telling me it's going to happen. is going to happen. So, so, Holy Spirit, I've got an idea that you haven't thought of yet, and this is what we're going to do. I do that. This is why I'm kind of being sarcastic because that's true of my heart. We have a hard time just living by faith and trusting that God is going to be true to his word. We can relate to Abraham then. He tries to work around, and 13 years later, Abraham thinks, 13 years later, Ishmael is 13 years old, the, the, the kid that he has with Hagar, and he goes, this is how God's gonna fulfill his plan. See, I'm a dad now, this is how it's gonna go, and, and God doubles down, and he goes, no, 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 I, I don't know if you were listening, but it was gonna be you and Sarah. I, I'm gonna do this through you and Sarah. I'm gonna do it through you now that you're 100 years old, and I'm gonna do it through Sarah now that you know over a decade later you still are unable to have children. See, Ishmael came as a result of a human workaround, not through faith. And so, about this time, God comes, reaffirms that what he is going to do. And remember, these two facts are, are unquestioned. Abraham is old. Sarah is still unable to conceive. Now, we might say that he has faced the facts. That, that, that In fact, his behavior tells us that he has faced the facts. But he has not faced the facts with faith. He's looked at them as obstacles that he has to work around, not that God can overcome. Am I preaching to you yet? That he has to work around the facts that he is confronted with. He's not trusting God in the middle of them. And so what we have here really is a story of of Abraham trying for decades to work around things that he knows are a problem with God's promise, believing that God is not able to fulfill his word through these particular facts or through these obstacles. And then Genesis chapter 21, 1 through 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. In other words, God performed exactly what he promised. God performed exactly what he he promised. God fulfills his word. God makes Abraham and Sarah a father and a mother together. Church, to follow Jesus in the real world, to, to see him, to follow him, is to see the world as it is, which is such a critical thing for us to understand. See, many people, even Christians, assume that biblical faith is a blind leap and, and an, ignore, an ignoring of the facts, but it's not. That's not what Abraham does at all. In fact, when he does that, it doesn't work well for him. He looks right at the facts, he looks right at reason, he looks right at logic, and he tries to get around them with another woman. You see, Abraham's faith was not his ability to suspend logic and to suspend reason. Rather, it was a willingness to trust God in the face of reality. Abraham finally got to this place where he trusted God with reality. See, there's a modern expression of Christianity which tells us to ignore the natural world with with its sins and its science, and instead to focus on the heavenly realm. This is a new expression of a very old idea. In fact, it was an idea that Paul was very concerned about in the church in Ephesus in the first century. See, many Christians to this day call the physical world evil and daily act as though the realities of this world are contrary to faith. And it leads to a particular place in my heart, in the church, in our communities, in our families, so we must be careful. In this particular worldview, in this particular way of believing that God works is that they see reason as unnecessary for believers. That that reason is not something we have to deal with. We just need to have faith. In fact, faith and reason are competing against one another in this particular view. Not only that, but they see physical suffering as a result of inward sins or things we just need to pray away. God, take this away from me. Thirdly, they may see that science and technology, and, and hear this, even vaccines as enemies of faith that when we lean into the things that God has empowered his people, his creation to steward and make, that we reject them and believe we're just supposed to have faith. See, but faith is not about removing ourselves from this world and the realities of life. That's not what we're called to do. In real life, faith is about building our lives on God's truth in the middle of these realities. Perhaps you've been taught that faith is about acting like everything is okay, and if you don't act like everything is okay, then you don't have enough faith. But Abraham and Paul teach us with their very lives that faith is what happens in the middle of these facts. Faith helps us to see the world as it is, and when we do, we see the fullness of God and his creation and his truth and his power. Cambridge professor of experimental physics, meaning I never had a class like this, Russell Calburn said this, understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller. It allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. See, faith faces the facts and trusts God. And when we do, we see something about the nature of God that we were previously blind to. See, faith actually gives you sight. It is not blind. Abraham faced the facts. Paul says he did not weaken in faith, but he grew strong in faith. And that's what we need to consider next. As he lives this life of faith in the face of facts, he actually grows strong. So how does facing the facts actually make you strong? So Abraham wrestles but eventually faces these realities and begins to trust in God. And this produces strength in him. Why? Well, look at verse 20. Romans 4, verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So in in the English sentence, it's worded a bit oddly. But however, in the Greek, what Paul is saying is that through the means of faith, or through the channel of faith, if you will, God made Abraham strong. Now, what can we discern about that? I would like to suggest to you, if God is making Abraham strong, then previously he was weak. I I know, just stay with me, (laughs) right? If if, If he is being made strong by God, it means that without that work, he was weak. In and of himself, Abraham was a weak man. He was a sinner. He was imperfect. He was broken. He wrestled like you and like me every day to patiently wait upon the Lord to fulfill his promises. But in his weakness, Abraham found strength through relational dependency upon God. Abraham found strength through relational dependency upon God. See, many modern and secular people think that to be a religious person, and particularly to be a Christian, is to be weak, to be unintelligent, and easily manipulated. And to be sure, many powerful people through the history of the church have misused God's word and the powers entrusted to them to take advantage of the vulnerable. But this assessment that religion is for the weak comes from a vantage point of presuming that human beings in and of themselves are powerful creatures with supreme agency in isolation and independence. In other words, that we are self-reliant and self-sufficient, therefore we can be self-determinant. But, is that what it means to be a human being? Is a human being, when we really think about it, found in our autonomy or in our dependency? In our autonomy or our dependency? Is our personhood only about our personal power? See, through, throughout our everyday life, I think we are finding places where we're trying to do things on our own. Let's put it that way. We're trying to do things on our own. We think that's what it's supposed to be to be a mature adult. Right, A mature person who's growing up. the more I do by myself, the more mature I am. But the scriptures teach us the exact opposite. That maturity is not about increased independence, it, it's about increased dependency. The more mature you are, the more dependent and reliant upon God you become. See, when we read the story of creation, something is striking to us. We are made both strong and weak. We are made bone, but we are also made flesh. We we are made to have dominion, and yet we are also made that we need to eat multiple times a day and drink water or bad stuff starts happening, right? We are made incredibly dependent creatures. We are made in the image of God, but we are not God. So in the creation story, we see that there is a strength within our dignity and humanity, and yet there is a weakness, there is a vulnerability. As Andy Crouch makes plain in his book, Strong and Weak, true flourishing, true human flourishing only happens when our authority and our vulnerabilities are equally embraced. Hear that. We flourish when we acknowledge and lean into the fact that we are both strong and weak. And I want to suggest to you that we, as a prevailing culture, often are fleeing away from any weakness and trying to strengthen those things so that we all have just strength. try to mitigate all of our weaknesses and not actually embrace them. And in doing so, we try to find an increased reliance upon ourselves, But true power does not come from within inside of you, church. True power does not come from within you. You were not made to find all that you need within the warm fuzzies of your heart and mind. You were meant to find it in God. You were meant to find strength in God. See, notice even in this particular passage, Abraham finds strength in a number of ways. He finds strength in the promises of God and what God says about the future. He finds strength through the faithfulness of God, right, about who God has always been and promised that he will ever more be. He even finds, did you notice in verse 20, he finds strength in glorifying God and giving him glory and, and, and honor and praise and adulation and worship. He is made strong through worship. You ever think about that? And I'm not just talking about singing songs, though some of you sang on point today. It sounded so good, right? But that's actually not the only thing. It's when my life is lived, organized, and built upon the mercy and power and grace and person and life and death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's glorifying him. When you obey God, you glorify him and you are made strong because you're showing faith in him. That's what it is to glorify God. So today, you might need to look beyond the trappings and the sufferings and the pain of this earthly existence and find strength in God, not yourself. That's faith. Faith helps us to see that that this world is not all that there is. See, we don't grip tightly to this world. When we don't grip tightly to this world, we we will confess, we will repent, we will deny ourselves, we will worship God, we'll glorify him, we'll look to him, we'll submit to his will. Because in real life, faith actually makes you strong. See, here's what was going on with Abraham. Abraham knew he was old. Abraham knew that Sarah couldn't get pregnant. In other words, what? Abraham knew he was weak. Those were the facts he was facing. He was weak. And yet, He knew what God promised. He knew who God was and is and forevermore will be. He found strength in God. Do you you see this duality, church, that Abraham is not denying the realities of life, but he is seeing God in the middle of them? That's faith. Faith is not ignoring the facts of life, but faith is also seeing beyond those things that God is real and present and active within his creation. See, you can't find strength until you acknowledge God. Your weakness. That's faith. Faith helps us to see the world as it is, but it helps us to see that this world is not all that there is. Why? Because that's who God is. This is the, the, the way that faith does this, or the reason, the power behind all of this is that God is the one who is over all things, and yet he has created all things. So this is part of his character that is reflected in our faith. So therefore, faith is about God's faithfulness. So Abraham faced the facts, but ultimately found strength in God. Notice in verse 21 how uh, Paul sort of concludes this particular thought. He says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What is the object of Abraham's faith? God. It's it's not what God would do for him. It's not what, what God was going to give. It was God himself. Specifically, it was God's ability to perform what God had promised. Many of us are waiting for God to fulfill promises that he never made. We are. We're we're waiting for God to fulfill the promises that we wish that he would make or that we want him to make or the dreams that we have dreamed up. But his word never said anything about those things. Much of the toil and frustration of our faith is we're basing our faith on a God that we have made up in our own imagination. We're waiting for a God of fiction to show up, and he won't. How do we know what God has promised? Open his word. How do we know what God has promised? Open his word. How do we know what what he has said that he will do, who he is? We need to open his word. Navigate this in community. Rely on his Holy Spirit. It's amazing when you open up God's word how many of the American dreams that we have are actually never show up. Many of the things we base our life upon actually never show up. In fact, usually the opposite does. The object, when the object of our faith is God himself, it, it, it gives us clarity about what he is really up to in real life and in our lives. See, you may have a really strong faith in something that is not true, and that faith, hear this, is of no merit. You may have real, strong, powerful faith in something that is not true, but your faith is only as strong as that in which you place your faith. And, and here's the good news. If you place even a little bit of faith in God, what does Jesus say? You can move mountains. He he will move mountains. What what, what will he he do? He'll give a baby to a hundred-year-old man and a woman who thought she would never have children. That's what God does when you give him just a little bit of faith. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Let's say it this way. We get power from whatever we worship. We get power from whatever we worship. That's what's happening in Abraham's story. You see, faith itself is not what makes him strong or weak. Rather, the one in whom we place our faith determines our strength. And God is omnipotent. God is good. God is faithful. God is true. And when we place our faith in him, we are made strong. We are made glad. We are made joyful. We learn to obey and trust him in real life, even in the face of great opposition, when we face even the facts that are really hard to overcome. Paul is not just teaching this. This is what I love about the Apostle Paul. is He's not just saying, here's some, some idea I want to communicate to you. We find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul is living this out. He's wrestling with this as well. Hear this in verses 9 through 10 in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is sufficient. Is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness is a part of our humanity. It's a part of our design through which we glorify God and the glory of God is demonstrated. It causes us to fully rely and depend upon Christ. See, one of the unique aspects, I think, of our faith is that when you follow Jesus, it frees you up from being really defensive all the time. It frees you up from acting like you're not weak, right? Because isn't it true, I mean, if you're anything like me, whenever anybody finds a shortcoming, I'm like immediately like ready to prove them why that's not true. My my knee-jerk reaction in my flesh is, I don't have weaknesses, what are you talking about? But in Christ, I'm like, show me a weakness because it's going to magnify Jesus Christ. I am actually open to correction. I'm open to accusation. I ought to be open, and you ought to be open to somebody saying, I think this is a weakness. You go, dope, Jesus is going to shine through that. What what do you see in me that that, that there's a shortcoming? I'm going to confess my sin and repent, and then Jesus is going to show up. It's going to be beautiful. We, We don't have to be defensive. How good is that? I get so tired defending myself. I don't know about you. But like even my kids, even my kids are like, you're staying up kind of late, you're spending too much money. I'm like, who do you think? Jesus, help me, right? Even with them, even in relationship, when somebody goes, you know what, you seem really angry this week. Or actually in that business deal, you seemed really greedy. And instead of saying, no, I'm not. I'm perfect. I'm totally different. We go, will you please help me? Because if, if there is greed in me, I know that Jesus will shine forth with his generosity towards me when I confess my sin I know if there is anger in me that, that the peace of Christ, which rules my heart, will demonstrate the glory of God when I bow my knee to him. Are, are you picking up what I'm throwing down church? There's something, when you are a follower of Jesus, you don't need to defend yourself anymore. I think this is what's going on in this story. This is why we often sing this line from Come Ye Sinners. All the fitness that he requires is that you feel your need of him. In order to come to Christ, all you need to confess is that you need Christ. See, faith confesses weakness and practices dependency upon Jesus. And Jesus is truly the faithful one. Church in the square, no one is faithful like Jesus. See, isn't it true that Jesus is the one who faced the facts of our sin? He looked dead at them. He counted the cost. He knew exactly what what becoming the, the son of God, incarnating, showing up in this world, and dying in our place and for our sins. He knew those costs. He faced those facts. He knew the sins of the world and came anyway. He knew the pain awaiting him on the cross and died anyway. Not only so, but Jesus found strength in his Father. He lamented even on the shore of his crucifixion the cost of sin and suffering. Yet what does he do? He submits himself to the Father's will and this not of this world kingdom that awaited him. He said, not my will be done, but yours. He trusted in the faithfulness, or rather the strength of his Father. So Jesus faced the facts. Jesus found strength in his Father when he felt his weakness, when he felt vulnerable on the shore of his death. And Jesus also rested in his father's faithfulness. You notice in the life of Jesus, he is constantly repeating the words of his father. He's trusting the words of his father. He's trusting the will of his father. He's trusting the purposes of his father because he knew that the substance and joy of his life was found in the embrace of his father's will, in his father's faithfulness. So church, like Abraham... Like Paul, and and more importantly, as both of these men point us to Christ, may we be a people in real life that face the facts and see the world as it is, and yet know that the world is not all that there is, and we find strength in God, in the faithfulness of God, so that we might more and more become that church that he's calling us to be. Heavenly Father, have your way in us. Make us more like your Son. Make us a dependent people, free from defensiveness, anchored in hope and in the faithfulness of our God. Help us to face the realities of this world and yet find great hope and faith that this world is not all that there is, so that one day we'll see the fullness of your faithfulness come to bear when heaven and earth become one and all shall be well. So we, we, we trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody agreed and said, amen. Would you, if you are in person with us, prepare your hearts for communion. And get uh, the elements, the, the cup and the bread out as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, verse 26 says it this way. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus understood in the middle of this world, we had hope. In God, we had a trust. We were able to have faith in him, and yet he calls us, even as we take this meal, to long for and anticipate a kingdom that is coming that is not of this world, when one day all shall be well, and we'll actually enjoy this meal with Jesus in eternity. So let's take, let's eat with thankful hearts, giving glory to God in humility. Heavenly Father, be glorified in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.